Hello, podcasters, and welcome once again to Sexplosion. My name is Caroline Shenier from carolineshenierCoaching.com, and I'm your coach on all things intimacy, relationship, sex, and superconsciousness. This is my podcast teaching you about how to sexually liberate yourself to be confident, spicy, and fun around intimacy and sex, along with learning how to build a great foundation for a strong, long-lasting, and passionate relationship. It's very truly unfiltered, uncensored, and unexpected. I just wanted to check, have you checked out my TikTok? If you haven't, go and have a look. My handle is Caroline's Explosion. Also, for my sex toys and books all about sex and super consciousness and life coaching head on over to carolineshenicoaching.com or you can go on my link tree which is linktr.ee forward slash carolineshenier so ladies and gentlemen we will be talking today about sex and infidelity i am absolutely delighted to have amanda quick who is with us today now she is a best-selling author, energy healer, speaker, and empowerment coach. Her memoir, The Sex Trafficker's Wife, which is released in January 2023, so it's already out, shares the biggest trauma of her life when her ex-husband was arrested for attempted human trafficking in 2016. That event was a pivotal moment and that changed everything for her. It was her catalyst for her spiritual awakening and taught her how vital it was for her to take back her power and fight for herself and her children. Today, she runs a healing and coaching business, helping others find safety in their bodies, connection to themselves and the universe so that they too can take a leap in a quantum leap into life that they truly live for themselves. So Amanda, a very, very warm Welcome to Sexplosion. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I tell you what, I've been looking forward to seeing you. We have a lot to talk about. And what I want to let the audience know here is that when I first started talking to you about this, when we first met, when you reached out to me to tell me about your book, I had to stop you (laughs) from telling me because I wanted my reaction to your story to be as authentic as the audience listening or watching this right now. So I'd like to waste no more time now. Please, can you tell us all about your story, please? And obviously including the infidelity part, which is shocking as well. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So my story begins in 2016. I was a full-time stay-at-home mom. I had three kids. They were young, one, four, and five. My whole life was my children. My husband worked long hours and provided for us. We were very typical American household. And one day he doesn't come home and I can't find him. And eventually I find him in the jail at about five o'clock in the morning when I, when I called non-emergency dispatch going, what do I do? Can I report my husband missing? And they tell me he's been arrested for attempted human trafficking with a $250,000 bond. A two, uh, what was that? So he spoke, he spoke very fast then. A two what? A $250,000 bond. What does it mean when it's a bond? So that's how much it, co- it costs to get him out of jail. Oh, so if I, I see, bond right, him right. out, it's $250,000. My God. <laughs> <laughs> and I about dropped the phone and went, what? <laughs> like the furthest, biggest shock 
I had no idea what the charge meant. I had no idea anything. I was, I was beyond shocked. You know, I thought that my husband was exactly who I thought he was. You know, he had told me when we first started dating that he'd only been with three other people besides me. And so I had this belief that he was very innocent and I was his third wife. So he didn't date, he didn't cheat, he didn't do anything of the sorts. And so to hear that he'd been arrested for attempted human trafficking, I didn't even know what to think. I, we were in, we were in Colorado. There was no borders to move people. I, I didn't understand. And I was in such a state of shock that I also couldn't see the truth for a long time. And eventually what came about is there had been a sting operation. And so that meant like the police department sets up this, this ad for people to respond to and catches people who are interested in trying to have sex with children. And so my husband responded to the ad and took steps to, to basically pay for sex with an 11 and 14 year old. And that's when he was arrested. Yes. Yeah. So obviously huge shocker. Um, I don't believe any of it. I'm like, how did he get mixed up into this? There's something, there's some other explanation. Like it's, it's even, you know, even as he's arrested, I think there's some other, some other reason, like either he got caught up in something or somebody stole his wallet or like, that's where my mind is at because it's so far from the reality. And so I, I do go bond him out. I do go get him out of jail because I, I think I have to help him. He's, he's my husband. Like there's something wrong. I have to help. And, and you had to find the 250,000. I did. We, we did have investments. He had some stock in, in some, in a company that went public. And so I was, I was able to do that and you get the money back. People actually tell me this all the time. Like, why would you waste the money on him? But the moment his trial is over, you get the money back. So it's, you kind of just put it in case they don't show up to court or they try to run, then they would keep the money. And so from my perspective, you're just loaning them the money so that, you know, you can get him out of jail and try to help and get lawyers and all of that. So you got him out of jail when he came home? I got him out of jail. He wasn't allowed to come home because we had young children. And so the court made him stay somewhere else. But after I picked him up from the jail, you know, I'm like, what, what, what happened? <laughs> and he starts to tell me this story about this ad that he responded to. And I'm totally dense. I don't understand what he's talking about. Like an ad, an ad for what? Like I don't, I don't get it. And he says, oh, escorts, excuse me. How long has that been going on? And he responds, oh, since like forever. He's very flippant about just seeing escorts all the time. And I'm like, what? And he admits that he's been seeing escorts since he was 20. And he's almost 40 at this point. And we'd been married for six years together for almost 10. And he just, oh yeah, been doing that since forever. And I, I'm in so much shock that I don't even have an emotional reaction at that point. Like my body doesn't even respond. And I'm trying to process in my mind what this means. And for the fact that he's also now been arrested for trying to have sex with children. And his story is basically that he responded to an ad and when they offered children, he didn't think it was real, but he had to go figure it out because then he was going to go report it, but he didn't want to get in trouble if it wasn't real and they were just trying to scam people. And, you know, I'm in so much shock, so much disbelief that I'm trying to wrap my head around all of this, that I'm like, 
I can't imagine what? what you must have been going through. Yeah. And so, and here I am with my husband admitting to cheating on me with escorts and he's in trouble for this huge offense. And I have three young children at home. I haven't worked in five years. My entire safety and security is attached to this man. My belief of who I am and the identity I've created for myself and everything I know about my life is all of a sudden shifting, right? And I also had a ton of trauma around my own dad not being in my life after I was nine. And, you know, it caused me to dive into teenage promiscuity and to go on all kinds of unsafe paths with older men when I was young. And I was very scared to end up alone with three children and not have them have a father in their life and what that was going to impact them. And so I had all of this all on top of itself. And so what it meant is that for a period of time, I chose to believe his story. And I know it's, it's far-fetched and ridiculous looking back, but at the time I couldn't see clearly. I had like so no you emotional safety, weren't you? You were thinking yes. safety for your family, weren't you? I was exactly, it was, you know, had I not had kids with him, it probably would have been a lot different, mm. but because they did, I was so focused on keeping my family together and keeping that family unit and the safety that what is the family unit that I, I couldn't see another way in my mind. It was like, okay, people recover from infidelity all the time. That's what I told myself. And I focused on let's get through the criminal trial and then we'll deal with all of that. And we've got, he's got a sex addiction. Okay you know, I can sort of somewhat conceptually get it, but not get it. We'll deal with it later. Like that's how I operated because it was such a fight or flight, one step in front of the other sort of time. So we ended up going through all of the criminal stuff and he was actually offered a plea deal and he only received four years of probation. And I know that shocks people too, for trying to have sex with 11 and 14 year old. He received four years of probation and that's privileged white man in America for you. And by the time I was grateful, it was like, Oh, our family can heal and come back together. And he was actually able to move back home because in the state of Colorado, the statute said basically a sex offense doesn't remove your constitutional right to parent. And so he moved back into the house and I, we started to say, okay, how do we, how do we heal? How do we put our family back together? And it took me after all of that, and for, for me to even start to process the fact that my husband admitted to cheating on me many, many times, uh, he had had an evaluation for probation done where he admitted to over 50 times throughout our marriage. Um, later, another evaluation was done and he had, the number doubled. It was over a hundred times. And he, I also found out that it included men, not just women. Oh after my God. So it was just more information after more information all the time. It was like he never actually admitted or took accountability, responsibility for any of it. It was always very minimized. I started to feel what it meant to have somebody cheating on you that many times about, I want to say it was over a year after he was originally arrested. And I started to learn like, that's when I started to actually feel it. And I remember, you know, him wanting to be intimate with me. And all of a sudden I would get this thought come to my mind. That's how that he looked at them. That's what he did with them. And it would just, it was like there was ghosts in the room and I couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't do anything about it. It was like, I didn't, I didn't invite them in here. I didn't want them there, but they were there. And when was this, and was this like, 
I mean, as soon as he came back home, was it was he straight back into to sleeping with you as normal kind of thing? Well, so interestingly, before he moved back home, we went through a period of actual almost like another honeymoon because we were so scared of what was going on in the criminal trial. And I there was a trauma bond that was created. And the trauma bond actually deepened our relationship in the very beginning Whoa. because I was terrified. I was terrified to be alone. Not surprised. And it it the only safe person to talk to was my husband, even though he caused the trauma. Everybody else through had judgments. I didn't feel supported by anybody. And so wow. right after his arrest, we actually had a deeper connection. And, you know, because we weren't allowed to see each other because of the children, that's what we wanted to do. It would turned into almost another addiction in a sense where, you know, you have the super highs and then the withdrawal symptoms type of thing. Mm. And it wasn't until after he got home that started to kind of subside. And I started to have this reality hit me and he wanted things to be perfect and normal and good and all the things. And I was like, hold up, wait a minute. Now I'm starting to feel this. And so I think it's important that people realize it doesn't always hit you right away. It's not always instantaneous. Mm. You know, sometimes you learn about infidelity and you don't even have a response right away. You can't, your body can't process the information. You know, this person you've created, this person you've trusted, this person you've had so much intimacy with, it's like you, you, you can't even recognize that something could be different because that's not who you know them to be. And you never, you never caught anything, did you? No, I never caught anything. I also never looked. You know, truthfully, it never looked. And if I even had the slightest thought in the back of my mind, like, oh, he's been a little weird or whatever, my immediate response was, oh, that's not him. You know, I, he had built this persona of such an innocent person that never even, never even dated really. And he was so shy and all of these things that I, I was like, oh, that's, that's not even possible. And I would brush it off. And so I never, I never checked his things. I never went through his phone or devices. I, I trusted him. I was but a very... What about disease? You never caught any disease either. No. And thank, thank the, whatever you believe yeah. in, um, you know, and he did admit later that, you know, I had had three children with him that, you know, he was doing this throughout pregnancies and breastfeeding and, mm-hmm. and, you know, he admitted to going and getting tested, you know, after I found out I was pregnant again, you know, in the moment of thought of, oh, maybe I should, maybe I'm doing something wrong, but nothing ever happened. And, you know, thank the, thank the everything, but you know, it's, it did start to come up, you know, he put my health, he put my kid's health in danger without any really thought of it. And when those feelings came up at the time, he was still so a part of our lives. Like I wasn't even allowed to feel those feelings. He would make me feel very wrong and guilty if those feelings came up because, you know, he didn't mean it. He's changed now. You know, there was a lot of manipulation and and gaslighting going on. And I didn't, I didn't understand any of that. And I think, you know, not every single infidelity situation is going to have that, but I think a lot of them do, you know, because they, they make you feel wrong for having feelings about their actions because they don't want to confront their demons either. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to take accountability and responsibility for himself. He didn't want to look at that. He just wanted me to move on and forgive him. That's really what he wanted. And at some point I really couldn't do that. And I realized that I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I couldn't be with him anymore. I couldn't be in that relationship anymore. And so I pushed away 
and I pushed away and it actually turned to wine for a while. I would come home after, after work, I had eventually ended up going back to work and I'd have to have a half a bottle of wine to even have a conversation with him because I was so just, I can't, I can't look at you. I can't talk to you. And I didn't know how to process any of that. I didn't know how to confront the fact that my husband had admitted to cheating on me and I still wanted to keep my family together and everything that had happened with my kids. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with that. Mm. You know, eventually I was like, okay, I can't, I can't, wine wine is not the answer. That's not, I'm not okay. This is not okay. And uh, I also found myself attracted to a coworker at the time because, you know, as we do, when this is, this is a problem, we, we look somewhere else. And so I decided that I was interested in pursuing, but I wasn't going to cheat on my husband in the way he did. I wasn't going to keep it a secret. I wasn't, I knew what that felt like. It's funny though, because it's not even as if he had a one affair. No, it's not as if he had an affair. It was just lots and lots and lots of, yeah. Wow. Yes. Exactly. And so I decided I was going to, I was just going to tell him. And I basically straight out told him that I was going to go start dating and he could deal with it or not. And that's what I did. And he stayed, he actually wanted to stay in the house. He wanted to stay weird, weird family, because I think on some level he was scared to move out. He was a sex offender on probation. Like he, you know, he couldn't go to kids' schools or activities. He was allowed around our children, but not anybody else. Wow. There was a lot of restrictions on on him and what he was allowed to do, and so we were dealing with all of that. And what about you know, what he, about what about people around? I mean, what about you know? Presumably, you know, your neighbors knew and the school. Yes, they knew it was. And- it was in the paper. It was public information. So about a week or two after his arrest, it was it was publicly because it was he wasn't the only defendant. There was like six or seven of them caught, and so this there was multiple articles in the paper. Everybody knew you know, which added to my need to hide from everybody and shut down. And it actually added to the original trauma bond that yeah. was formed because I was, I felt like I had, I had hiding in my house. And in fact, even my house didn't feel safe because, you know, it's not hard to look up our address at the time, you know, and you're not worried about your kids and the, se- you know, the sex with the underage. Do you not worried about your, how old was your oldest child at the time? At the time he had just turned six. Right, And so at the time I didn't believe the children part yet. So even though he was arrested for that, he was admitting to, you know, the infidelity with adult escorts. He was basically saying nothing had ever happened with children. He, he claimed I was the youngest person he'd ever slept with. And I was 18 when we met. And so I, I, what's the age difference between you? Nine years. So he's, he's almost 30 when we met and you know, obviously there was a huge, huge amount of red flags that I ignored in the beginning of our relationship, you know, mm-hmm. hindsight and all. But when you're 18 and 19, you think you're an adult and you think yeah. you know everything. <laughs> and I definitely did. And so I didn't see any of that so much later. But, you know, I didn't at the time, I still didn't believe that he was a danger to children. I thought that, OK, I can't be with him. I've got a process being cheated on you know, and all of those things, but the kids deserve to have a father in their lives. And a lot of that was a lot of my wounding from not having my dad in my life. And, you know, I even told my mom, like, I'm not going to take my kid's dad away. Like you took mine away. It was very, very focused on how important it was to keep him in their lives. And, you know, he, he needed to work on himself. Yes. And he had addiction issues, but I didn't see him as dangerous to them yet. 
And even after it came out that he, you know, had been with men as well, I still didn't see him as dangerous. And I didn't, cause I have boys. And so some people have asked, you know, what have oh, you got all three men? boys, all three boys. And so some people asked, you know, if you had daughters, would it be different? And like, I don't, I don't really know. I can't, I, mm. but at the time I still didn't see him as dangerous. And, and so eventually he actually filed for divorce. He, he started some manipulation tactics to kick me out of the house and claim he was the primary parent. And he was trying to pull a bunch of legal maneuvers on me and it didn't, it didn't work, but I started to kind of see the mental health stuff bubble up and get worse. And at that point, you know, the blinders are off and the rose colored glasses are off and, and I'm angry and I'm Mm -hmm. frustrated. And I'm like, we're, you're putting the kids through this after everything I did to try to keep their life normal. And, you know, their behavior started to shift and the alienating behavior started to come up and he started to, you know, claim that mommy's mad at daddy and that's why we can't be together. And everything was my fault, zero accountability, you know, and they're still young. You can't explain the sex offense to young children. Like Mm -hmm. he knew, they knew daddy was in trouble, but they didn't understand why. Eventually as things progressed and we were going through a custody fight, because despite his pleading guilty to solicitation of a minor, we still had to go through a custody dispute because his constitutional right to parent was still intact. And I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't still couldn't see it. I couldn't put my finger on it yet. So I wasn't agreeing to just blanket 50, 50. I went, I wanted evaluations done. I wanted psyche, psyche valves. I wanted, I wanted to uncover more of it Mm. while still not, while still somehow processing everything that I had been going through And the bottom drops out again, when my middle child starts to exhibit behaviors that basically tell me he's being sexually groomed by his father. And I just about lost it. Yeah. And so my, as I'm driving him to school one day, he says out of nowhere, just, you know, my my mind is thinking about work or things. And he goes, sometimes I suck on daddy's fingers. Just (laughs) excited as can be just ha ha. And I'm like, what? But you can't respond. You can't. No. You can't, you know, he's six at the time. You know, I can't say anything. And so. And how old is this little one? How old is the middle one? So he, at this point in time, he's about six now. Oh, Um, I see. And how old is the older one by now? uh, He'll be, he'd been eight at the time. Okay. So, you know, it'll be a couple years later. And so you know, I'm like, what else is going on? And I start to watch their behavior. I start to see things that are coming to the surface because they had been so angry with me and not wanting to spend time with me. And I had been looking at it from a video games and candy and, you know, all of the rest of the Disneyland dad stuff. I hadn't really been looking at it from that angle yet. And so once I started to, you know, I started to see more and I eventually made a report to child protective services and they interviewed my son, scared him half to death. He was hiding on the kitchen table when they interviewed him. Shit. And then they dropped the case. They said, you know, well, pr- probation cleared him. So all it's fine. Because the truth is our system, at least in the United States, and I assume it's the majority of places, isn't protective. Something bad enough has mm-hmm. to happen before they intervene. And this behavior wasn't considered bad enough, even with his history, because I was here going, 
it had crashed into my face going, oh my God, he was arrested for trying to have sex with an 11 and 14 year old. My child is exhibiting behaviors of being sexually groomed. Hello. Wow. You know, and we're having to, under temporary orders, still share custody. And so the kids are going back and forth and I don't, I can't even, like, I have to take them back to his house as all of this is happening. You know, my, all of my motherly instincts want me to take my kids and run, but I, I can't, it's kidnapping at that yeah. point. Yeah. God, what did you do? So I'm at my, this is my rock bottom point, right? It's not the offense. It's not the infidelity. My rock bottom point really is this point in time where I'm seeing my kids in danger. And it was actually my mental health therapist, my regular, you know, talk therapist who says, Hey, have you ever considered seeing a psychic? And I was like, what, (laughs) what are you talking about? Because I was very agnostic. I was not into spirituality or anything of the sort, but I was like, you know what? I'll try anything because the system is failing me. And my, my lawyers are basically saying that there's not much more we can do. We can take this to court, but it's up to the judge to decide. And, and my fear is this isn't going to be enough because according to the court system, it doesn't matter what had happened previously, unless I could prove my kids were in real danger and that something had happened today that didn't matter what his past was. And so I went to the psychic yeah, and she starts reading, reading me and says that there's this past life coming up where, you know, we were together and the the two older ones were with us and the relationship was okay until the kids came. And in that life, his, you know, his drug of choice, so to speak, was alcohol instead of women, but he beat me in that life instead of the emotional and mental manipulation, it was physical. And she's like, this is the loudest karmic echo I've seen in years. When you say he, who are you talking about? So in, when she was reading the past life, she was basically saying I had a past life with my, my husband at the time where he was physically violent with me. And so she was reading my life with him. That's what she was saying. And she was basically saying the reason I was so afraid of him was because in this past life, he beat me to death. He threw, he, and he beat me back to death in front of my children who were the same children. And my whole, (gasps) my whole body had that reaction too. And I was like, oh my God, I don't believe any of those things yet, but my body is telling me that she's, she's, she's telling the truth. And so I'm realizing why I'm so afraid of him is because of all of this. And the reasons that this is happening is because in that life, I didn't know how to stand up to him. I didn't know how to take back my power. I was, I couldn't own property. I couldn't have money. You know, this was 500 years ago when, when women couldn't do anything, you know, and she's telling me all the same stories about keeping the family together that had been running through my mind for the last years. Right. And so I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Okay. I see it. And I see that I have to change. I have to do something different. Like I can, I can be a different person now. And you know, she says, you know, your angels brought you here to make a choice. And I was like, I'm choosing. She says, no, there's a part of you that didn't choose because there's a part of me that still wanted him to heal. There's still a part of me that wanted him to get better, that wanted to believe that, you know, he could heal his deviances, that he could overcome his addictions, that he could be a father for the children. There's a part of me that still wanted that. And I think that that's that kind of that darkness side that so many people don't want to admit. They don't want to see. They they like, no, no, it can't be together. 
but there's an underlying part of them that still wants it, that still misses the safety of the family unit, that still misses the idea that they had in their mind of what was. And there was a part of me still holding on to that. Yeah, she because says, you you still wanted what you didn't have as did. a child. Exactly. Exactly. And I was holding on to that possibility somewhere. And I was on some level giving it, giving it energy, even if I yeah, didn't want to look at it. Conscious, wasn't it? Exactly. And so she brought it basically to my awareness and said, you have to choose, you have to choose and you have to decide once and for all that you were done with this pattern with him. And so I stood up and I said, I'm done. (laughs) And, you know, she, uh, she said, okay, now I can help you. And she sat me down and we looked at all of these possibilities. She said, there are more people who can help you. You have to keep going and you have to ask for help because I had been hiding. I'd been scared to tell anybody what was going on. And I had to talk to more people. I had to ask for help. I had to realize I had more power and I had actually been giving all of my power to the system to decide, right? We think the system is supposed to protect us. So we just say, look what's happening. And then they don't do anything, but that's not actually how I needed to approach it. I needed to say, this is not okay. We are not safe. What are you going to do to help us? And how, and, and, and drive that bus really, instead of just be the passenger. And so I left that office with a totally new energy, with a new like you reborn, wasn't it? It really was. It was, it wow. was the beginning of a massive awakening. And what happened over the next few weeks was nothing short of miraculous. I, I had a coworker who introduced me to a connection through Homeland Security. So I got connected to the original arresting officer who remembered exactly who he was I got connected to the local police department. They reopened the child protective services report. I got the original case file unsealed from the original case. Cause people think that, you know, I had all the information you don't, family members don't get to see the arrest reports. We don't get to see the case file. We only, all I had ever heard was what he told me. And so I finally actually got to see the truth of what happened and any last questions was gone. You know, I was intimate with him. I knew some of his preferences and things, and he has a preference. He really likes imagining impregnating women. And, you know, when we were early dating, he would talk about knocking me up. And it's not just, you know, the pregnancy itself. It's this idea that his seed created this. And in, in uh, in the transcript, he talked about imagining knocking one of them up. And I was like, oh, my God, that's too far. And I knew that that was real. Like I knew that there was, there was what was going on then and I could feel it. And it, it just like, okay, he was actually considering going through with having sex with an 11 and 14 year old. And I didn't see it. And so I had all of this evidence. I started talking to my kids about keeping body safe and private parts private. I had learned that, you know, he was, he had moved my middle son's bedroom away from the other two when he was climbing into his bed in the middle of the night. I, and I got all of this recorded. I got all of this data information, you know, my, I was reading books about, you know, keeping body safe. And my, one of the sections, my son set talks about, as I was reading, it talks about like, if people show you pictures or videos of naked people, you know, that's a red flag and you should report it. And my son goes, well, it's okay if it's animated, right? So all of that data started to get collected and recorded and prepared. And so six weeks after that meeting with the psychic was my divorce hearing. And so we got to stand up in court and we got to talk about all of it. We got to bring forward all of the trauma that I had gone through and basically say, I didn't know 
all of what I know today, back when I supported him, you know, and my, my kids are in danger now. And you must've been beside yourself with worry with these poor kids, knowing that he can still, while you're trying to get something sorted out, you had no way of taking those children out of that situation. No. And everything, every time we tried to file with the court or anytime we tried to restrict, it was met with, nope, we'll do it all in court later. And so it was, it was the worst, most traumatic time of my life, more than anything else, watching and having to send my kids back over there, knowing what was going on and preparing for court and stand up while having to work full time and, you know, do all of these things. It was, it was, it was impossible. And yet I had to, I had to, I had to get through it. I had to keep going. And so we stood up in court and at the end when the final order came, the judge basically said he has, she gave him a bunch of lists of requirements that he needed to do if he ever wanted to see them. And she, she reduced his time to just a couple of afternoons and gave him six weeks to comply with more evaluations, more disclosures, a bunch of other things. And if he didn't do those things after six weeks, he would have only supervised visitation and he did not a single one of them. And so he basically was, he moved to only supervised visitation, which he has never exercised. And the last time we have even spoken to him now was April of 2020. No, And so he just fell off. That was it. It was over. He just, he lost. I had full decision-making regardless, and he just dropped it. And, you know, we didn't know when the order came out because my divorce was final in March of 2020, like March 3rd of 2020. And I didn't know the pandemic was going to hit and shut the world down. I didn't know that everything about was going to change, but from a divine timing perspective, it could not have been better timing because they were never quarantined with him. We never had to fight over quarantine rules or school stuff or anything of the sort. And by the time April came and went, you know, we were in full lockdown. And so my kids and I got a chance to heal together. We got a chance to be home together and to process everything that happened. And yes, they lost a parent, but they have safety and security and they have me. And, you know, that's what catalyzed me to go learn all of the healing things and to just learn how to process all of this from the other side. And uh, I know he was grooming the middle one, but did he do anything? Not that I, not that it ever came forward. And I truly believe in a lot of ways that I, I caught it before it went because grooming has to, grooming is just push the boundary a little bit, right? We just start to normalize inappropriate behavior and you know, on some level, I don't know how even conscious my ex-husband was of his deviances. And I truly think that things happened to him as a child and he didn't even know what was appropriate and what was not appropriate. Like his, his mental health was really, really deteriorated. He was diagnosed with dependent personality disorder, which basically means they become dependent upon others to meet their mental and emotional needs. And that started to come from the children. And so it just added to all of the inappropriate behavior. And so- you know, where that was going to go in the long run. I don't even want to go down that path, but I was able to prove my case and my kids and I are safe. And what did those authorities say to you after you proved that he was unsafe, those kids, they apologized to you? No, there's none. There's, I mean, child protective services wasn't, wasn't involved in the divorce case in the end because they dropped their case, right? They move on. And his probation officer and therapist they were so egotistical about 
being sure that he was exceptionally compliant with probation, but you know, they moved on too. And so I really didn't speak to anybody other than, you know, my lawyers who basically told me that I didn't win the case because of them. I won the case because of me and then all the things that. that I brought forward and, you know, they were, they did their job exceptionally, but truly I, they wouldn't have had the evidence had I not done everything I did. My God. You know what, Amanda, this just proves that when you let go of the shit in your life, you get your power. And what yes. people people do not realize when they hang on to shit, where they say, well, blame is one thing. You, know, you lose your power straight away when you blame or when you don't when you put your rose colored glasses on, you don't want to see something. And you've proved that once you let go of all that shit, you were allowed, you, you mm-hmm. you know, the universe allowed you to be the most powerful superwoman you could possibly have been to protect you and those kids more than anything. Yeah. And the other thing is, the other thing is that synchronicity started happening. Your vision, your vision was so great to protect those kids that the universe gave you what you needed. And if that isn't a lesson on super consciousness, I don't I know, know what is because that is exactly what happened to you. You allowed the yes. super consciousness to take over and it gave you what you needed. You know, there's so many people, Amanda, that that have all these all these things going things going on in their lives, they they can't afford they can't afford to have coaching or anything. So mm-hmm. all I can say is, you know, focus on what you want. But this just proves what you've just said. It just proves when you focus on what you want, only what you want, then mm-hmm. synchronicity starts happening. And so many of my friends that I've tried to help, they've said, they said, Caroline, I just don't believe it. When you just focus, you know, when you say the synchronicity, I just don't believe it. And you are living evidence right here yes. on Sexplosion that if you focus on what you want, synchronicity happens and you, you get. I know my mentor, my mentor, um, he always said that he... Um, his accountant, I mean, this is a completely different topic, but the same thing is that his accountant um, did a, a mistake and he had to pay VAT of £12,000, which wasn't his fault, right? And he was like trying to get proof that he couldn't do it. And he he listened to his his intuition that said, take your telephone records, right? Didn't have a lawyer or anything. Went to court and he was sitting there waiting, focusing on focusing on this. And in the end, the lawyer, the, the, the judge said, yes, well, you know, if there's any proof that they even, he said, yes, 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 I have my telephone records. The universe gave him what he needed and he got off that 12,000. The universe yes. is there for you. And my goodness, what a story. So, what I want to ask you is how are your boys now? How are they? They're honestly, they're amazing. So they're now eight, 10 and 12 and wow, much older, so much older. And we've had a lot more conversations. They're they at least can somewhat conceptually understand things in slightly different way. And we've had a lot of conversations about, you know, really where the accountability needs to be placed 
you know, blame needs to be placed where it's due. It wasn't anything I did. It wasn't anything they did. And their dad has an illness and he doesn't even know the difference between right and wrong. Cause how else do you explain mental health, right. To young children. And Mm. that's kind of what I came up with. And it comes up here and there, but for the most part, they've moved on, you know, the pandemic changed everything in their lives. And so everything changed at the same time. So schools changed, friends changed. We eventually even moved towns to, you know, start over. And so they're, they're really good. You know, they, they fight like brothers and, you know, they get on my nerves because they're, they're children, of course, but, you know, I learned so much from them and I learned, you know, how children are really mirroring the things that we need to see. And their behavior wasn't, you know, to frustrate me. It was to show me how not okay they were and what was Mm -hmm. going on in a different way. And, And so I get to look at them differently and we get to, we talk about how energy works in the universe and we talk about manifestations and, you know, for them to learn that that now at this young age is fantastic and hats off to you, you know, because you, you've had a tough time all round. And so they don't have anything to do with their father now. He's no, we have had no contact since April of 2020. He has not paid us a dime and not contacted us in any form. And honestly, it's fine. Like Better, he, isn't it? he can stay away. And, you know, it was the message was loud that I needed to write this book. It was really, really loud because the amount of keys that, you know, having people walk through where I was and then to where I got to the yeah. majority of people out there end up sharing custody with their abusers or their children's abusers. And that just breaks my freaking heart. And my divorce was expensive and not everybody can afford to even start to have the fight. But the reality is it wasn't the money that saved me. It really wasn't even the money that saved me. And if people can learn to actually let that stuff go and focus on really what they want and create safety and security for themselves and and their children, you know, I had this feeling afterwards, like I can do, I did that. I can do anything. Nobody gets full custody anymore these days, but I did. And so I, what can, what else can I do? And it just set something off in me to realize how much power we all have and if, if I could create this, so can other people as well. And so and that's what you help them with now, isn't it? That's what you've, you've got a, a business. It doing is. That that's, that's my goal is to use my story, use my experiences to help people see what's possible and to help them see, you know, what they're not seeing within themselves so that they can take those leaps and they can make those shifts in themselves because I truly believe everybody out there is magic on some level. Oh, everybody absolutely. out there is capable. Absolutely. You know, and if I can inspire if I can encourage, if I can help people in any way, then it really makes what I've gone through that much more powerful. Absolutely. And and this is a really good time now to actually give us, the audience, your uh, social media links, your book link and Mm -hmm. everything like that. I'm going to put it into the actual, um, into the group in Facebook with all the details. But if you could say it for the listeners... Of course. So the book is called The Sex Trafficker's Wife. It's a story of truth, faith, and trust in self. It's available on Amazon, or you can go to thesextraffickerswife.com for all the links. The uh, My healing and coaching business is amandaquickhealing.com. And all of my social media tags are at The Sex Trafficker's Wife or at Amanda Quick Healing. Excellent. Now, there's just one question I'd like to ask you, which I ask all my guests at the end, and that is, uh, if you could meet the 18 year old you again, and in this case, it's quite specific because you met him at 18, didn't you? I did. Yes. What advice would you give, what would you give to yourself? Oh man. Uh, 
at that point in time, it would be really hard to convince me that I knew that I didn't know everything already, but I would really, I would really try to give myself the advice that I needed to listen to my intuition and to my body because my body had told me the whole time. My intuition had been telling me the whole time, but I, I refused to see it and I logic it all away and everything that didn't, that doesn't feel good. There's a reason and you need to listen to it. Oh, that's amazing advice. And um, listen, oh, this is, it's the end now. Um, <laughs> but my goodness me, what a story, Amanda. And honestly, I, I, I wish you the best of luck for your future with you and your boys and whatever love that you have in the future, that you have the nicest man and the nicest man who will be a father to your children. And Wait, I actually, I actually did get remarried this last year. Oh, yeah, really <laughs> I did. And he is the most heart centered oh. spiritual man. And my kids have a stepdad and all of the beautiful things happened already. So really the universe is magic. Oh my goodness. So actually you've got the family yes. togetherness yes. and the father you've always wanted. Yes. You just have to go through a bit of shit to get it. But my goodness me. Well, listen, it's been absolutely amazing having you on. You've been honestly, honestly, out of all of the sex explosions that I think that's the quietest, the quietest I've ever been. I've been fascinated by your story. I cannot, cannot imagine. None of us listening to you can imagine how you must have felt, but you've got through the other end better than before yes. so a ma a ma absolute magnificent um story and many congratulations on getting through it all so um listen thanks very much indeed and um what i'm going to do is just we'll have it that's a wrap that's there you have it folks <laughs> another excellent and exciting conversation i think you'll agree um so next month we've got varsha hathi that's on the 1st of April next month. And she's a divorce coach. And she's going to be talking to us about sex and taboo in the Indian community. So come right back here for more explosive, unscripted conversations. Um, and I hope that you've got lots out today. And I do hope that those people who've watched or listened today, they come, you go and see um amanda because she can help you if you've got any questions whatsoever please please go and see her so listen thank you amanda and thank you all for listening for taking the time to listen i see you all next month to your success i'm out